You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello and welcome to The Agenda podcast this Tuesday, January the 2nd. I'm Jennifer Crichton in the hot seat for today. And as we all wished each other a very happy new year, the new calendar was bringing with it a host of changes for life here in the UAE. First up today, we were talking unemployment insurance because one year after its launch, the first policies are now eligible to claim against. But who can benefit and how? We asked employment lawyer Tenji Moyo and recruiter Toby Simpson. Also in the world of work, we took a look at those new emiratisation deadlines and asked whether companies have successfully complied with last year's with specialist recruiter John Fitzpatrick. Also coming into force today was Dubai's ban on single-use plastic bags. It's the first in a series of bans aimed at curbing our waste and Tatiana Antonelli from Gumbuk joined us to discuss what it all means for the country's green credentials. We also looked into our crystal ball with one motto's Adam Ridgway, examining what the coming 12 months could hold for the UAE's transportation sector. And Robbie Greenfield had our sports headlines. Good morning and welcome to the agenda. I'm Jen Crichton in the hot seat today. And obviously it is a new year. Happy New Year to you. How are your eye bags looking this morning? We're all pretty bleary eyed in the studio. And I've got to be honest, the school run this morning was not much fun at all. But as well as being the first day of the year, yesterday marked the one year anniversary of the launch of the UAE's unemployment insurance scheme. And since then, more than 6.7 million employees have registered in the scheme, paying either five or 10 dirhams a month for a policy to ensure they're offered financial support were they to lose their jobs. Now, around 14% of eligible employees in the UAE have not yet enrolled in that scheme. Those claimants need to have been registered with the scheme for at least a year before they can claim. And that means that from today, only the scheme's earliest adopters will be eligible for help should they be terminated by their employers. But who are they? Who can actually claim? How do they claim? And what are the criteria that they're going to have to meet to do so? Well, to answer those questions and more, I'm joined now in the studio by Tenji Moyo, who is a partner and head of the employment practice at Gately LLP in Dubai. Tenji, thank you very much for joining us in the studio. Now, I suspect probably quite a few of us heard about this scheme and the fact that it's mandatory. And so we did what we were supposed to do. We signed up without necessarily learning too much about it. So on that basis, could you please start by running me through the basics? What does this scheme actually mean and where do we stand today? Okay, so um, the basics of the scheme is you need to have been registered for 12 months. So absolutely correct. As long as you have been registered in the scheme for 12 months, and a lot of people registered after after it, it came into force on the 1st of January last year, um, then you're able to, to claim if you've been made, um, if you've been terminated, but the termination has to be a redundancy and not anything that you have done to cause your own termination. Um, if your claim is successful, then you're able to benefit from 60% of your basic salary. Um, so I think it's really a step forward for the UAE to be able to have a scheme that provides some sort of financial support. Obviously, when you lose your job unexpectedly, it comes with hardship. So you get 60% of 
of your basic salary. Um, the first category, as you've said, 16,000. Up to 16,000, you will get um, 60%. And if you have uh, entered into the second category, so that's employees who earn over 16,000, then you get 60%, but that's capped at 20,000 dirhams. And that's 16,000, that's basic salary. So basic that doesn't salary. Include. Yeah, absolutely. So it excludes any allowances. As you know, in the UAE, most people are paid on the basic salary and allowances. So it is just the basic salary. So 60% of your basic, which if I'm not mistaken, basic has to be over 50%. Is that right? A- a- absolutely. I mean, there's nothing in law which says uh, it should be, but the market practice we see, most companies do, I would say, 60-40% split. Um, So, for example, if you are earning 16,000 and your claim has been approved, then you get 9,600 for three months. So it would just really be there to cover that hardship. We know it takes maybe two or three months if you're lucky to get your next job. So it covers that period um, when you're looking for another job. Now, you mentioned that it does need to be a redundancy and not something that you have done. So you've been made redundant rather than being sacked, I guess, in in the sort of common vernacular. But what exactly would count as a redundancy and what would you have to be able to evidence to successfully claim? Yeah. Um, So you need to um, show that you didn't resign because that would be a voluntary um, and if you went through some sort of disciplinary procedure, which ultimately meant that you became, uh, you were terminated because of your conduct or misconduct in the workplace, then you wouldn't um, be eligible for it. Um, I think when we look at how the law is drafted, it currently just says um, disciplinary action under the UAE labour law. And what isn't clear to us as lawyers is whether it's um, misconduct under Article 44, where you actually have a list um, of uh, serious uh, offences which lead to gross misconduct. Um, So it's really important, I think, for companies to make sure that their termination letters are clear as to the reason for the termination. I do know common practice is that for employees when they are terminated that they say, well, can I um, say I've resigned because they think it makes it look better for um, future um, employment when they're going for interviews or trying to secure themselves. But this is obviously something that employees will need to think about and before they ask for a resignation because that would impact the, um, the claim. So if you were terminated, but you asked to make out that you'd resigned, you then would potentially invalidate any claim on your policy. Absolutely. And it's common practice. that You know, we see that all the time where um, employees are going to be terminated or they're told they're going to be terminated, but they are offered the opportunity to resign, um, which you know, many employees prefer because when they go to their next employer, they say, oh, I I, I resigned. Um, But that would um, definitely, I think, have a significant impact on their ability to claim. So if an employee is being terminated and they get that letter, how do they go about claiming and what do they need to actually have in their hands to do so in terms of the wording on that letter from their employer? Um, It needs to clearly show that it was a a, a, a termination for something that they didn't contribute to. So um, I would assume if the termination was to say restructuring, redundancy um, and, and, and so forth, then, you know, the employee is in this position because of business economic reasons than anything else. 
Um, but if there was any sort of foul play, the authorities have also warned against collusion between the employer and employee. Um, so there will be some sort of investigation when it comes to paying out, like any insurance claims that we know, um, you need to produce evidence. So the evidence would be your termination letter, your Emirates ID. It's very important to show that you are still legally um, resident in the UAE. So you shouldn't be subject to any overstay fines and so forth. So you must be here legally in the grace period or, or looking for alternative employment. It's also important to know that once you secure employment, so let's say one month afterwards, you get your new job, then the insurance will also stop because it is there just to cover hardship. So it's there as a safety net yes. and not as extra. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> We've had a text message in. There's no name on this one, but it says, do we know how we can renew unemployment insurance? Now, of course, some people will have signed up for a year yep. and those policies will be about to expire. Yep. What do they need to do to ensure that they remain covered? Um, my understanding is you would just renew using the same uh, website. So the um, ILOE um, or website, which, which is the Involuntary Loss of Employment website, www.iloe.ae is the website. Register there or renew your insurance there. But we have seen that they are making it a lot easier. We're seeing SMSs. We're seeing um, the ability to register through currency exchange. So, they, you know, it's extremely easy to register or renew at the moment. Now, in terms of employers, obviously, this is very new. We're looking at potentially the very first claims coming in in the next days or weeks. What do they need to do if they're uncertain of what to do? And what do employees need to do if they're being terminated and they're not quite sure where they stand? Who can they speak to? I think when it comes to employers, what they really should be doing is checking that everyone has registered, first and foremost. Um, If it's a company registered under the MOHRE, so mainland companies or federal government, it's mandatory. So they must make sure their employees are registered. Now, in terms of the payment, it's actually for the employees to to, to make the payment, but employers should be making sure. If you're in the free zone, um, one of the, uh, the business free zones, it's not yet mandatory, we understand, but very much encouraged. Um, So again, employers are making sure that their employees are registered. Um, Some companies are going far as offering to pay on behalf of their employees, which is nice to see. Um, It's not widespread yet, but a small percentage are actually making sure that they're making sure that the payments are made for their employees, particularly the lower um, paid employees, which I think is is quite um, a good step. Employees simply should make sure that their policy is in place. Um, they mustn't um, fall foul of making or keeping up the premiums because there are penalties as well. So we know that if you fail to pay uh, over a 90-day period, then there's a penalty of 200 dirhams, which is actually more than the premium. So we want to make sure that we don't, um, you know, get held by the uh, penalties Um, and for those that have failed to register we know the penalty is 400 dirhams so register and on that note I know that we're we're running out of time but just very quickly we know that 14% of eligible employees hadn't signed up by the end of last year so they are now eligible for those fines what can they do now to ensure that they're compliant moving forwards and and what will the ramifications be if they don't sort that out quickly so they must register through the website um, asap we understand that the penalties will be imposed via the wage protection scheme 
um, or deducted from their end of service gratuity. We also um, know that if they don't have the insurance, they will struggle to get their new visa going forward. So those are some of the administrative um, ramifications that employees just need to be mindful of. Um, So it is a a benefit or a mandatory benefit that all employees really should be signing up to. Fantastic stuff there. Tenji Moyo there, partner and head of the employment practice at Gately LLP in Dubai. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. It's always great. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station. Hello and welcome back to the show. We're talking unemployment insurance right now. And with a new year come new deadlines. Our workplaces are at the centre of a number of changes today. Soon we'll be taking a look at emiratisation and asking what the new targets there mean for our workforce. But first off, we're looking tangentially at another key development today in the unemployment insurance area. Because it's one year on from the introduction of that scheme. And that means that the very earliest policies are now becoming eligible to claim from. Now, a moment ago, we were hearing about who can claim and how from employment lawyer Tenji Moyo. But we've also been wondering what it all means for our own job security and for the wider jobs market in the region. So to consider that further with us, I'm joined now by Toby Simpson, the CEO of Striver Recruitment. Toby, good morning and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Jen. Great to uh, great to see you. Great to have you on today. Now, I wonder, first of all, will this change the face of recruitment here in the UAE? Do you expect as we see this scheme really start to take root now? I'm not saying I'm not sure it will um, it will change the face of recruitment enormously. I think the one knock-on effect, you know, the key driver for the government doing this was to make sure that there is an available pool of talent. Um, for employers around it. You know, traditionally, we, we have this model where you come in on a two-year visa or a three-year visa, and when that role ends, or, you know, you're, you're sort of made redundant beforehand, uh, an expatriate would return to their home country. And bringing expatriates back is possible, but it's just, a, it's just another admin step. So what this does is it creates a pool of people who are immediately available, you know, and can, uh, can start work. And more than that, the interview process, I know we're in the age of we're doing absolutely everything via video call, including this radio interview, <laughs> um, but it still makes a difference. If I could have been in the studio today, I would have been in the studio today. It still makes a difference to be able to shake an employer's hand, to be able to offer that kind of non-verbal communication that perhaps comes across uh, more in um uh, you know, more in a, in a face-to-face meeting. And uh, for the, the candidate as well to kind of go to the employer site and get a sense of the physicality uh, of that working environment, of that working culture, really does help to, you know, kind of encourage them to make that step. So if you develop this 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 pool of candidates, you know, here available in the UAE, it means that employers are quicker to fill positions, which improves productivity. Um, and I, I think it's, it's almost a, a kind of a psychological step as well that it, in the way that expatriates, in the way that the government are inviting expatriates to think about their time in Dubai. I think historically you've had this perspective that expatriates come in, we bring our skills, we help develop the economy, and in the meantime we get a fantastic lifestyle and low tax and, and, and all the good stuff. Um, but now I think there's more of a step of you know helping expatriates to think of the UAE as home. Um, so you're more likely to have a less transitory workforce and you're more likely to have 
a cohort of skills that is you know permanently available in the UAE, which is going to be important when we're facing this perceived or not perceived very very likely um, skill shortage in the global economy in certain key areas. Now, our colleagues on the Business Breakfast this morning were kind of peering into their crystal ball into the workplace next year. And we were hearing that, you know, that influx of people coming into the UAE at the moment, trying to escape fairly depressed markets elsewhere in the world, is leading to a really very competitive job market. Is three months long enough for people to find a new job? And are people who are already here still kind of in the best position to move on if they do find themselves terminated? You have a lot of liquidity in the mid and junior uh, section of the market. So what that means is that there's there's always a good number of positions open if you're at the uh, you know the kind of the earlier age of your of, of, of your career. So three months is long enough. But um, you know, I think Dubai shines much brighter than the reality often is in terms of the scale of our market. So at the senior end of the market, there just isn't always available, you know, jobs available for, you know, kind of high powered CFOs and CEOs and, you know, chief commercial officers and, and, and all that sort of good stuff. So, uh, you know, actually, with my experience with senior candidates, you know, these things can take, well, they can take up to two years, but, uh, and, you know, often people do a bit of consulting in the meantime, which Dubai makes it very easy to, to achieve. But yeah, I, I think we're talking more about the, the the more liquid, you know, area of the employment market where you have like, um, you know, a greater level of efficiency of, of, of you know, filling jobs effectively. You're working with different employers every day. What are they telling you about how this scheme will affect them? And do you think it will make them more or less likely to sort of rethink their staffing as we move forward? No, I, I don't. I, I don't. I genuinely don't hear employers talking about it because it's really a relationship between the employee and the uh, and, and the insurance companies and the, ultimately Dubai government. Um, so I, I don't think it makes a difference. It was suggested that, you know, because there's unemployment insurance, does that make an employer more likely to be able to kind of feel it morally inside themselves that it's justifiable to terminate someone? I, I really don't think so. Um, you know, uh, sort of companies will make those decisions uh, logically, most of the time. Uh, anyway, so I, I don't think it has a, a great impetus in this. It's just, it, it's just an absolutely brilliant scheme for uh, employees because the value in it is extraordinary. So you know, above 16k, you know, you're you're paying 120 dirhams a year, uh, and you can potentially earn out of that, you know, 20,000 dirhams for three months, 60,000 dirhams. It's some, I think that whatever the maths are, but you know, you'd need to work in the same role for like 35 years or something for it not to be good value. So I think it's, you know, it really is a, a great scheme that's very much in the interest of, uh, in the interest of the employees, which is why I think, you know, kind of one year onto the, you know, into the scheme, we have such a, a high penetration. I think it's 6.6 million people registered on the scheme and a very marginal amount of non-compliance. Now, I mean, I've only got 30 seconds with you left, but as you say, it is a brilliant thing for employees. It sounds as though it's a pretty good thing for you too, Toby. Is this going to mean that you've potentially got a bit more choice in the market when it comes to filling those top jobs moving forward? Well, actually, people like paying me when it's difficult to uh, to hire people. So, you know, so I, I like it when it's a tricky market because, um, you know, they need us senior level headhunters to uh, to wave our magic wands and, and, and make good stuff happen. If it if it's too easy, then um, there'd be no, no, no use for the likes of me. 
Well, hopefully that's not going to be the case anytime soon. Toby Simpson, CEO of Striver Recruitment there. Thanks so much for joining us. Hello and welcome back to the show. And as we wish each other a very happy new year today, spare a thought for the UAE's HR professionals who are beginning the new year with some new targets and deadlines to get their heads around. First up, companies with between 20 and 49 employees will now be facing fines if they haven't met their first ever emiratisation target to hire at least one UAE citizen by the end of 2023. Now that applies to around 12,000 companies included in that emiratisation scheme for the very first time. Meanwhile, larger businesses with 50 or more employees needed to have employed 4% Emiratis in their workforce before yesterday, and they will now face a new target of 6% nationals on their staff by the end of this year. So we all know that the market for Emirati employees has gotten very competitive indeed, and I can imagine that some of those small and medium-sized businesses might be finding it tricky to fill those new quotas. But let's ask the experts just how easy or not that is. I'm joined now by John Fitzpatrick from specialist recruitment firm Emera Talent. John, good morning and welcome and a very happy new year to you. Happy new year to you, uh, to you and the team at uh, Dubai Eye. And, and, and thank you very much for uh, kicking off the year with having Emera Talent uh, on the programme to talk about, um, again, this, this most important issue. Well, thank you for joining us. And I guess, first up, I'd love to take a look at the landscape from where we stand today. How have businesses responded to last year's targets? Do you expect that most people will have been compliant with those targets that, that ended yesterday? Sure. I, 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 think that, um, I think that, you know, there will be some companies waking up uh, this morning or returning to work this morning um, with some fines on the... Uh, proverbial um, doormat. Um, but the uh, vast majority, I think, have, have complied well. Um, we have seen um, a, a bit of last minute hiring, which I was hoping that we could avoid uh, on this deadline. And hopefully, as we enter into the, the third segment uh, of the mandate, then uh, people will hopefully have learned their lesson in, in leaving enough time to uh, make sure they, they attract the right talent and, and on board and hire and of course, you need to observe the um, the, the documentation and, and and so on that you've got to register these guys to to actually you know be within the deadline. And just how challenging is that becoming? Because obviously, when emiratisation was first introduced, the numbers were a lot smaller. Now that we're getting to six percent this year of employees in larger firms, that can be quite some number. Is it effectively very much a job seekers market now in this sphere? It's, it's interesting, but um, yes, I mean, the, the, the mandate and uh, talent, attraction, uh, talent attraction strategies uh, for this particular um, you know, niche area, uh, it, is, it is getting more difficult and the, the numbers uh, are diminishing. And, you know, it, it, we, we really must uh, apply the kind of supply and demand, um, uh, you know, elements on this. And so, yes, it, it's, getting, it's getting tougher. Um, is, it, is, it a, is it an employee's market uh, yes to to an extent um equally you know we are seeing uh, a number of these um entry level uh, individuals within this within this mandate 
um, taking on new roles and are moving quite quickly. And, and, and that in itself, uh, whilst you can understand why they may want to make a change, they didn't perhaps select the right company or, or, or something wasn't as, as good as they thought it would be, um, it does affect them in terms of coming to look for that next job. Nobody, nobody likes to see someone who's been in a position for one or two or three months and then been in a position only five, six months before that or something. So, yes, it's, it's, getting, it's getting a lot more difficult uh, to find quality um, candidates that haven't been jumping around. How about those small businesses? Because we're looking at 12,000 companies that were included in, in the targets last year for the first time ever. They had to have employed one person by New Year's this just at the weekend pass. So they're now facing fines if they've not done that. What is the extension of the deadline for them looking like? How does that move forward? Do they now have to have two or three or four employees or is it remaining at one for the moment? Well, the the, the announcement and the, the extension of the legislation uh, stated that they, they needed to hire uh, one um, uh, Emirati in 2024 and needed to hire another one in 2025. Um, there was a bit of a grey area on this for me, to be absolutely transparent, in that you know a lot of the articles said you need to hire someone in, and then it said bye. Um, so this is kind of clarification that we'd recommended that our clients spoke to uh, Mori, um, and you know to understand if that meant in 2024, i.e. you have 12 months to hire one, or by 2024, which um, which would of course meant 1st of January, um, you know, just just passed yesterday. Um, but I think yeah, I think it's that's that's certainly an error. I mean, we'd, we'd spoken to a lot of our clients who said that they'd you know sought um, confirmation from different channels. Some had come back to us and said that yeah, so it's okay, we can hire them anytime in 2024. And then you know, looking at articles this morning and leaning towards our understanding that it was was the 1st of January 2024 that uh, they needed to, you know, mark the date, um, you know, and, and, and comply. So, um, yeah, I, I think there's going to be a few people scratching their heads on that, quite frankly. And um, we were recommending to our clients all the way along that, you know, certainly, um, you know, play on the safe side of things and, uh, you know, and, and prepare for 1st of January 2024. And looking at national um, articles this morning, um, certainly they, they read that way um, in that they mention, you know, the 12 times 8K contribution slash fine um, for non-compliant companies in 2024, uh, which would suggest that indeed it does actually commence uh, the first. But we're still seeking confirmation on that. And we suggest that any companies with, uh, you know, between 20 and 49 employees on the mainland uh, do the very same thing. And in the meantime, I've got one minute left with you. What is abundantly clear is that those larger companies are going to have to have 6% of their workforce drawn from the National Emirati population by the end of this year. You mentioned the difficulties faced by those who left it to the last minute, let's say, and maybe had a bit yes. of a panic. What should mm. those companies that know they're going to have to hit 6% this year be doing now to get ahead of the curve to make sure that they're in the best possible position to meet that target with the employees that they want to hire rather than what's available to them on December the 30th next? The key advice um, you know, from, from myself and the guys at Emirates Talent really would be to leave plenty of time um, to prepare for this, to plan for this, um, you need a good kind of two, three, four months to make sure that 
you know, you're attracting the right people. Um, and on top of that, of course, you need a little bit of uh, wiggle room in there for the retention aspect. You know, I mean, you, these people come on within a, a month or two, and if they decide it's not the role or someone, then you, you're very much exposed to the the fine. So, key key uh, key key piece of advice would be leave lots of time. Um, it's a different proposition in terms of talent acquisition. Um, speak to MRR Talent or, or companies similar to ours um, and uh, really come up with a game plan that, that's really going to engage with this, you know, increasingly uh, difficult, um, you know, mandate uh, that we have in our hands here. Brilliant stuff. John Fitzpatrick there from specialist recruitment firm Emra Talent. Thank you so much for joining us, John. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello and welcome back to The Agenda, where every day this week we're going to be taking a look at what's ahead for one of the UAE's key industries. And today... It's transport, because it's safe to say that's an area where we can expect to see a fair degree of change over the next 12 months. We've already seen those driverless taxis being tested on the roads of Jumeirah in the last couple of months, and there are certainly plans to expand on that particular development. We're being told that full commercial rollout is planned for the second half of this year, with some projections suggesting as many as 30% of our cabs could soon be autonomous. Meanwhile, work's underway on that long-awaited Dubai Metro Blue Line. The Etihad rail networks are already shifting freight and we're seeing an ever-accelerating shift from petrol to electric vehicles across both private ownership and our public transport sector. So... Just how different are our roads, rail and bus networks going to look this time next year? Well, joining us now to bravely gaze into his crystal ball is Adam Ridgway, the CEO and co-founder of One Moto. Adam, good morning and a happy new year to you. Are you expecting a big year of change on our roads, first of all? Absolutely. Yes, Jen. Happy new year to you. Yes, there's going to be huge changes. We've been, we've been lobbying and pioneering for, for quite some time now. And it's all coming to fruition. And it's not just us. Obviously, when I say uh, we're doing it, we are leading the two-wheeled EV delivery last mile sector. But we are also working very closely with other um, other entities and industry stakeholders. So it's incredible what's going to be happening over the next 12 months. And as you say, we've talked in the past, we've been talking a lot now for about that shift to electric. It's been going on for a while and we know that charging infrastructure has been a key challenge to people shifting across. How quickly and effectively are we seeing that expand? Yeah, it's, it's incredible across the, across, across the country. Every, it seems to be every week there's more and more EV chargers sprouting. Um, and one of the things that we do is we try and make that as convenient as possible by having swappable battery banks. So those are allowed the riders to swap their batteries in and out within a few seconds and carry on their journey. So their productivity is even higher than it is currently because of um, you don't need to queue at a petrol station. But with EV cars, there's more and more. And if you look at the technology advancements with induction charging and other battery forms, that's just going to continue to improve across the region. Now, you're not just dealing with delivery, but also with that sort of last mile, as we call it. And we're seeing that expansion of the public transport network. But how challenging is that last mile still for people if they want to be greener in their approach to transport, but are perhaps finding it challenging? Yeah, this is a big thing. So we've got last mile in terms of delivery, but then you've also got the last mile in terms of the 
the commuter. And the RTA in Dubai has got the plan for the 20-minute city, and that's going to be achieved. Um, everything that, that the UAE or certainly Dubai states uh, comes to fruition. So, yeah, the 20-minute city, there are challenges, but with the public transport, the zero emissions strategy, um, the, you know, the RTA, the government, they're in control of this. So it will absolutely happen. And then expanding their future mobility commitments with flying taxis, EV, hybrid, autonomous, is going to make the convenience of traveling around this city um, even more. It's, it's really, really exciting. I mean, you mentioned a few of those more, I, I don't want to use the word outlandish, but I don't know what the alternative is. Those sort of Jetson-esque, very futuristic things that we always talk about here, the flying taxis, the drone deliveries, the autonomous vehicles. But a lot of it's actually, if not far off, already here, isn't it? Just how advanced is our transport network and how common do you think autonomous vehicles are going to become over the next 12 months? Yeah, I, I've been looking at this quite a lot. And, you know, as, as a kid born in the 80s, watching <laughs> Back to the Future and you have the hoverboard, I'm still waiting for one of those two um, <laughs> to be released. But the RTA have announced the that 25% of all journeys will be driverless by 2030. Now, we're six years away. And if you think about what's happened over the past six years to get to where we are, it's, it's absolutely possible. And the reason for that, I believe, is the vision that when you... If you're the government and you're you're being sort of so open to change because the country is constantly changing, whether you like it or not, through osmosis, you have to adapt. And we're seeing this growth and continual improvement um, for in, across all areas. So then if you take that to, to mobility, the, the government will, will grant you that sandbox, that trial, that proof of concept for that innovation. And innovation comes from the startups, those dreamers those sort of adventurists in everything is possible, place that in an environment like Dubai. And, and yes, everything really is possible. Dubai does allow you to make that happen. So it's obviously a huge plug for Dubai. But when you look at the, the mobility sector, there are so many international companies that are looking to expand in this region because it's so much easier. You don't have that bureaucratic challenge or challenges that you do in other parts of the world. So it's... It, it's happening. And when you look at flying taxis, are they possible? Yeah, the te technology is there. EVs, the first EV was was um, in 1884, I believe. Now, obviously, there's tremendous amounts of change since then and the evolutions of the battery tech. And the battery technology is really where, um, I wouldn't say what's holding things up, but certainly are creating that, that transition timeline. We would be evolving a lot quicker if there was that, that quicker development in energy source. Very exciting stuff. We will watch that with great interest. Adam Ridgway there, the CEO and founder of One Moto, staring into his crystal ball for us today. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8. Hello and welcome back to The Agenda. And I've got a question for you. It's a bit of a weird one. Do you have a bag of bags? Is that just me? I'm talking about totes, reusable shopping bags, refrigerated carriers, basically all of those bags that you're supposed to take into the supermarket with you. But if you're me, 
are more likely to leave under your sink or in the back of your car or wherever it is that you think you've left them to be organised and then you don't take them with you. And you end up carrying your shopping to the car like some sort of demented juggler because you don't want to buy yet another bag. Well, is that you or is it just me? I'd love to know where you stand on this. But whether you're organised or you forget them all the time, you might like to get those bags at the ready now. Because a new law banning single-use plastic bags has now come into force in Dubai. And it means those of us who forget them will now have to buy a new reusable one. The ban will extend to non-plastic single-use products, including single-use bags, from June the 1st this year. Then from January the 1st of next year, Single-use plastic items such as plastic stirrers, cups, styrofoam food containers and plastic straws will also be prohibited. And that ban's extending again from January 2026 to cover items such as plastic plates and cups with plastic lids. Now, supermarkets and retailers who flout the rules will face fines starting from 200 dirhams a time and increasing or repeat offences, but are the fines big enough? And what will it all mean for you and that bag of bags? Well, to find out more, I'm joined now by Tatiana Antonelli, who's the founder of sustainability firm Gumbuk. Tatiana, welcome and a very happy new year to you. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you. Happy new year to you too. Thank you for joining me. Now, tell me, first of all, what is it that's actually being banned from this week? Because I think some of us feel like this has been in place for a while. Well, it's true. It's um, There's been different types of bans uh, in the UAE. So I feel it, mainly people don't really understand where, which city, which emirate is, is banning what. Um, the first one was actually the emirate of Abu Dhabi, where the environment agency... Uh, uh, banned uh, plastic bags a couple of years ago already. Um, Dubai followed by uh, actually charging for for bags. Uh, And last year, it it came about uh, from a a federal level under the Ministry of Climate Change and Environment, uh, a federal ban on single-use plastic items, um, depending on what alternatives are available. So I think what Dubai is doing right now is reinforcing this uh, federal ban and and uh, putting a timeline. At the moment, we know, and for years and decades, plastic bags have been replaceable. There are altern- alternatives, so it's something easy to do. And this is why now there is a firm ban from yesterday um, about plastic bags. So this is the one item that for already is uh, totally banned. Even though yesterday I went, you know, to a few uh, supermarkets and nobody had a clue. So this is where there is a bit of a lack of communication. I think um, it's gonna maybe uh, be a, a week or or two to to adjust and 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 we'll see this throughout the different shops and supermarkets. But it's 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 here. It's here to stay. There's a clear um, uh, will to actually remove single-use plastics, but also single-use items in general. It's not just plastic, to make sure that we reduce the amount of waste we produce uh, per capita uh, in the UAE. But in general, this is a global movement whereby we produce too much waste and we need to reduce. 
So when we talk about the ban on single-use plastic bags, what exactly are we talking about? Is it those one, two, five dirham bags that you can buy at the checkout? Are those now banned? Are the little plastic bags that we can put our fruit and vegetables in, are those banned? Or is it just those kind of flimsy, old-school plastic carrier bags that you would get at the checkout for free? For, for sure, it's about the carrier bag, the, the one that you get at the checkout. Um, in some occasions, that's going to be the, as you can see already in some supermarkets, in Carrefour, Spinis, Waitrose, you do have an alternative for the fruits and vegetables bags, which are made out of cloth. But I would say at the moment, it, it specifies that those ones will be uh, banned later on. Everything related to food packaging will be um, banned in 2025. Uh, for this year, it's about the, the one you get at the checkout because we, we all, as you said at the, at the start of this conversation, we all have those reusable bags in the car, under the sink, at home, everywhere. So those are the ones we should carry with us. And this is something that has been going on all over the world for, for many, many years. I mean, back in Europe, this ban came about 25 years ago. There was a revolution uh, and people were very upset, but after one month, nobody even uh, spoke about it anymore. It became a norm and, and it, it will be here a norm as well. It's just about adapting and, and remembering that reusable bag to take it with us. And I mean, on that basis, it's, it's going to be a phased approach. And of course, the, the point of that being phased is to try and make it a bit easier for us all to remember what's happening when, and particularly for businesses as well, there's a huge amount of change coming. The next expansion of this plastics ban comes on June the 1st. Are we clear on what is going to be added to the ban from there? So I think it's going to be again about single-use products. Uh, we're not going to be focusing only on, on plastic. The phased approach is has started last year in Dubai, and I think Dubai really is working hard in uh, behavior change. So it's, it's exactly what you said. It's really to make sure that people have the time to adapt. But not only the consumers, I think it's also about, one, the producers, and two, the, the shops, the retailers that have to find the alternative and put in place specific uh, actions to, to enable this. Themselves, they have to find the solutions and themselves, and they have to communicate this to their consumers. Um, I think right now we're talking about the plastic bag, but if you if you look at the way you you behave uh, on a daily basis, the single use is everywhere. Let's let's think about food packaging. So that is another one that's be coming into place. But I think out of all these different bands that are coming up, something that is really interesting and we need to think about is the mention of c of circular economy and trying to. Uh, embed into these single-use products more recycled materials and this is going to be very interesting already in the UAE we have brands such as Palmade for example it's a local brand they make cutlery out of uh, palm uh, waste so I believe that there is a great opportunity also for new products um, coming up to the market and this is where this phase-out approach is interesting because it will give enough time to startups, to new brands, to come into the market and support retailers with options and alternatives. Because let's look at, as I said, food packaging, all the cutlery, all the boxes. Uh, let's also look at the 
the cling film that we use to wrap food, that is coming up for 2026. So we have a couple of years to understand what we're going to be doing to replace that. Um, but this is going to be a great opportunity, I think, for everyone. Now, this is obviously very much your wheelhouse. This is where you work. Do you have any top tips? Are you better than me at remembering to, to take your bags? And, and what do you carry with you to make it easier to avoid all those single-use items? Because as you say, it's not just bags. There's so much of it. And every time I pick up a plastic bottle, I feel bad about it. But it seems like that it's a huge behaviour shift is going to have to happen for us to be able to actually have those alternatives to hand. It is. It is complicated and no one is perfect. We, we all have to start uh, step by step. So I always say don't feel overwhelmed and just choose your battle, pick your battle. The bag is a, is a simple one. I myself don't remember every time to bring it with me. So you will see me uh, going around with a trolley full of things and then dump all those things in the car. And while uh, <laughs> every turn, you can <laughs> hear everything rolling at the back. Um, it's it takes some time to take that habit of having them. Uh, what I do is I place them everywhere. I also have in my bag those little tiny pouches that suddenly you can open up and they become uh, bags. They're very, very useful. You can even uh, attach them to, to your bag. Um, I think other things are going to be more complicated. And when you say, you know, the, the shampoo, uh, the cleaning products, they all come in plastic. That is where we need to look at alternatives. So, for example, I don't buy liquid soap anymore. We only use soap bars. Um, I don't buy cleaning products anymore. I use a brand called Kima, a local one, whereby you buy pills. And you put a pill every time in the same bottle. And so you avoid hundreds of plastic bottles uh, a year. Um, we need to look at alternatives. And the amazing news compared to, you know, 10, 15 years ago is that they are available. They are here and they work very, very well. They are all certified by ESMA uh, here in the UAE. So I think we are at a, in an in a easier spot than what we used to be uh, back then. Uh, alternatives are, are here and uh, it's just a matter of trying out what we like most. It's Sometimes it's about the perfume of a product or the efficacy on, on cleaning. But I would say we, we don't have excuses anymore. Alternatives are here. We can do it. So many people also will see the benefits of not having not only just all that waste to deal with, but also reducing chemicals uh, in our life and, and other aspects you know, of sustainability. So it's just a starting point. Thank you so much for your time. Tatiana Antonelli there, founder of sustainability firm Gumbuk, on that plastic bag ban coming into force from this week in Dubai. And your messages are coming in thick and fast on this. Alex says, instead of banning useful items, we should be putting more effort into recycling innovations instead. This person who is nameless, possibly for a reason, says, I have a cupboard full of bags. I think we're all in that position now. And I've also had another message here, no name on this one, but it says, how can we guarantee that the cost isn't coming from the consumer? Businesses should be handling this better, especially when it comes to fruit and veg, which should be coming ready packaged and not with added packaging. A very fair point then. This is The Agenda. On Dubai Eye 103.8, the UAE's number one talk radio station.
Hello and welcome back to the agenda. We're returning our attention now to sports and with a look at the last few days' action and what we can expect from 2024's sporting calendar, here's our very own Robbie Greenfield. Good morning, Jen. Plenty of footballing action to look back on over a busy, festive period. And as we head into 2024, it's Liverpool who find themselves once again on top of the Premier League table. They lead Aston Villa by three points. They're five points clear of a fault Arsenal and Manchester City. It all sets up beautifully for this title run-in heading into the second half of the season. Last night it was Newcastle who were visiting Anfield and eventually after a goalless first half they were blown away courtesy of the brilliance of Liverpool's talismanic Egyptian Mo Salah. He scored twice, he assisted one, Cody Gakpo got another one as well as did Curtis Jones in a 4-2 win over Newcastle. Newcastle's bad form continues under Eddie Howe. They'll be raising some eyebrows and perhaps uh, having some strong words in the boardroom over there at St James's Park. But what a festive period it has been for Liverpool. Not so for Arsenal. We'll debate that in full a little later on Off Script Extra Time. But that's your football roundup. As for the other big story brewing in the world of sports, Jen, I have to do this. I know Chris, I'm sure, has been giving you updates on this throughout the course of the last couple of weeks. The PDC Darts Championship, a star is being born as we speak. Luke Littler, 16 years of age, and he is now in the semi-finals of the PDC World Darts Championship. He's beaten Brendan Dolan four sets to one last night. The man is a showman. He's 16 years of age. They're chanting, you've got school in the morning, and he may yet go all the way. We don't talk about darts very often on our sports updates, but I think Luke is a very, very valid cause for exception. That's your sports update. Looking forward to bringing you more discussion from 7pm this evening on Offscript Extra Time. Thank you so much, Robbie. And you can join Robbie and Sonal from 5pm here on Dubai Eye 103.8. The Agenda is live Monday to Friday, 10 to 1.